Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Tonight we are talking about sex. If you didn't pick it up from the song and the dance moves and everything else I've said so far. But I thought I would start by giving you guys just a, a little incentive, if I can find it, which is some jelly beans. Now, who would like a jelly bean or two? A few different people. Yeah, great. There's some at the front here. Good luck. Catch. Uh, a few over in the middle as well. Catch. Good luck. Keep your eye on it. A few up the, oh, there's a couple up the back. And then a couple in the middle there somewhere. Good luck. Grab a jelly bean or two. Anyone else? For a jelly bean? Oh, wow, now everyone's keen. This is fantastic. Uh, another one over there. Oh, that's two. Catch. Oh, I think I hit Tracy on the head. Sorry, Trace. Um, all right. We might just... I'll just have one for the road. Might just leave it there. Now, I do want to address the elephant in the room. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Ben, youth pastor here. Also recently married. So eight months in. So I know some of you are probably like, what do you know about sex? Well... My um, Bible college lecturer one time told me that um, a really fun thing to do when we were talking about sex is in the first year of marriage, what you do is every time you have sex, you put a jelly bean in a jar. (laughs) So... um, I hope you're enjoying your jelly beans. (laughs) No, seriously, this isn't one from home because we couldn't bring it in, it was too large. But um, (laughs) I'm going to take it away before you guys start counting how many there are in there. But he said, you know, first year of marriage, put a jelly bean in the jar for every time you do the deed. And then after the first year, you take one out. Like that was his philosophy around, you know, just having a bit of fun around sex. And so we do. We want to have a little bit of fun around sex because while it is a serious topic, it is also a little bit of fun, I know from experience. Now, I do understand that for some of you, you still are going eight months. It's still not very long. Is there much that you have to offer, Ben? Well, I'm 27 years old, been a human my whole entire life, and so I've wrestled with this topic of sex. I've wrestled with it. Like, as a human being, I've wrestled with this topic of sex. See, growing up, I was a pastor's kid, in a conservative Christian home. So basically, I got told, don't have sex before marriage. And, you know, sex is something that only mummies and daddies should do when they love each other. And then I got to high school, and I found out there's a lot of mummies and daddies that love each other at 15 years old, you know? (laughs) So I don't get this, but apparently this is what happens. And I all of a sudden felt like I had this experience where I was in a race that I didn't know I was in and I was coming last. And I didn't know what was happening because apparently sex was a race. Like you needed to have it as soon as possible. And you know, you'd hear all the stories, people would come back from the weekends and I did this, he did this, she did that, you know, like all this sort of stuff. I'm like, I didn't realize this was a race. I feel very far behind and I don't know what to do about it. And so as any good teenage boy does, began to try and understand this issue, try and figure out what the best way forward was. Now, I didn't have my church talking about this issue very much. And because they weren't talking about it, I didn't necessarily feel comfortable to have the conversation with them about what 
is sex? Why do we talk about it? Why do we do it? What does it look like? You know, how far is too far? Ask all of those questions that I felt like I was getting told all about at school. And then I'd already had the awkward sex conversation with my dad, and I didn't want to go back for round two because it was hard enough the first time. It was like, I don't want to have to have a second one of these because I feel like it could be worse. You know, like the first one was bad enough. But I didn't know how to figure out the answer to some of these questions. And so I tried to figure it out myself with my friends and with my peers, with my church friends, even though we didn't know how to talk about it, we'd sort of talk about it, nothing would really happen, there was no real clarity. And in a case of honesty, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to say that I'm not the perfect example, the clean Christian guy, you probably could tell from the tattoos and the piercings, but even in you know, the sexual side of things, I've pushed the boundaries. Now, I can stand here and attest that I've never had sex before marriage, but I didn't keep it clean and pure all the way through. So I wrestled with that, and I was trying to figure things out, and what I found was I didn't have a place to have that conversation. I didn't have a place to get the wisdom that I needed to navigate it. And so this is why it's so important for us in our Life Hack series to look at this topic of sex. Because I believe if God created sex, and we as Christians would claim God created sex, then surely we should be talking about it. Surely we should be the place where people can come and get some wisdom and enlightenment about sex. I shouldn't have to do sex education four times through high school and get told from all my friends about everything because this should be a place where we can talk about it, understand it, and get God's view and God's wisdom on it. Because the truth is all of us here are human. All of us here relate to sex in some way. Whether for some of you, uh, you know, you have the view that sex is just a physical thing. Who cares what people are doing and who they're doing it with and when they're doing it and where they're doing it, just let people express themselves. You could be sitting here with that kind of thoughts on it tonight. For some of you, you might be here and you, know, you might be thinking, when I get a boyfriend, we are not even going to hold hands before we get married. You know, like I'm going to keep everything so pure that we won't even touch. Not even a long gaze, you know, five seconds max because we just don't want to stir anything up. You know, I don't mind where you are on that spectrum, but the truth is all of us are on it. We all have a view about sex. We all have opinions about how it works and how it should function and what should happen. And the truth is, if we haven't had a really good foundation, if we haven't actually gone to the source to figure it out, most likely our view on this is slightly warped. And so for me, as I've been journeying through the last 27 years, thinking about sex and talking about sex and dancing songs about sex, you know, I've been engaging with this and thinking about this. And and for us tonight, we're going to really dive in to what does God say? What is God's design for sex? What is it? And so for us, we're going to jump into the Bible. And uh, to save you a little bit of time, I, uh, this week, well, not this week, last week, because I get nervous about preaching, so I prepare two weeks in advance. Um, I was like, all right, let's find all the Bible verses I can about sex. I'm going to find that one that says, don't have sex before marriage. You know, the one that we're all talking about. Um, and I, so I typed it into my Bible app, and I said, don't have sex before marriage. And it came up with no results. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this on the Bible app, but if you don't have the translation right, it won't give you the result. And I was in NIV, and I thought maybe it's NLT, but then it could be NKJV, you know, like, and all 100 options are in the Bible app, and it's like, I can't be bothered wasting my time doing that. So I typed it into Google, don't have sex before marriage Bible verse. Again, nothing really came up, and it's because I realized there's actually no specific Bible verse that says these words, don't have sex before marriage. Now, before you all download Tinder, um, we are (laughs) going to find the answer to this question. 
Just because it doesn't say it explicitly doesn't mean you can start swiping right in the middle of my sermon, okay? Focus. On that side note, if you do have Tinder, I'd encourage you to, de- to delete it now. I know we're about to open our Bible apps, so if you want to get your phone out, get your Bible app open, or delete your Tinder at the same time, do that. That's fine. But we are going to jump in to Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 to 17. There's nothing like going to the Old Testament to talk about sex. All right. If you've got it on your phones, I would love for you to be reading along because I do think it's always great to take notes. So when you go back to it later, you find the notes and you're reminded of what was talked about. So Exodus 22, 16 to 17, it's on the screen. Interesting verse. Here we go. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price and, sh- um, oh, and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins. Now, I hope that's become abundantly clear to you what God's design for sex is. Because it was really clear to me the first time I read it too. Like, it's like, oh, obviously, this happens all the time. But what you need to understand, <laughs> remember my friend going through that the other year, you know, like. But this is an an interesting passage because Exodus has been written to the nation of Israel just after they've been set free from slavery. So this is a newly free nation trying to figure out how do we operate as people, as a nation, and how do we deal with all this after we've been under oppressive rule that has enforced a way of living upon us. And so as they're doing this, they're trying to create their ethics for their culture. And so you can see here that firstly, obviously, there's arranged marriages. That was the thing that they did back in those days. And as a part of that, you paid a bride price, you know, a dowry, um, you know, to say, hey, I want to have this woman as my wife. I'll give you five cows. She's a five cow kind of woman. You know, nothing like being compared to five cows, I'm sure, girls. Um, (laughs) But this is what would happen. And so there's this interesting situation where this girl hasn't been pledged to be married. So there's no one who necessarily wants her at that time, or there hasn't been um, negotiations have fallen through a couple of times. And this man, you know, seduces her and sleeps with her, like it's all consensual. And then what happens is this man has to pay the bride price and she becomes his wife. He's like, you know what, you've had sex with this girl, so now you must take the responsibility for her to be your wife and to provide for her and actually take the responsibility of paying the bride price, which is rightfully owed to the father in this case. You have to take responsibility for what you've done in the act of sex. That's the first verse. So just get that. You have to take responsibility for what you've done in the act of sex. Second verse I found, uh, which is really interesting, was in Genesis 24, verse 67. Now this one says, basically the backstory is Isaac's mum's died and he's real sad. And so what happens is Isaac finds this woman, Rebecca, takes her into his mum's tent, weird, Let's just acknowledge that, weird. And then it says, he married Rebecca. So she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, I'm gonna presume we're all adults in the room here. This is one of those verses that needs emojis. You know, like, this is one of those ones where it's like, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. Like, what do you think happened in the tent? They had a ceremony with a priest, you know, recited their vows, first dance, cut the cake. Come on. They got married, and, and Isaac was comforted, you know, after his mother's death. Yeah, sure you were, Isaac, sure you were. But again, look at that first sentence. The first sentence is this idea that Isaac takes her into his mother's tent, and they're married. 
And we know that like that's code for sex. And we would say like, it's a code, but for them, it's actually one and the same. And so the first thing you have to understand is the guy had to take responsibility for this woman to be his wife if he seduced her and slept with her. Because for the Israelites, as they were coming out of slavery, God's command for them was not that you will have sex after you've had the ceremony. It was actually that sex is marriage. If you're going to perform the deed, you're going to take on the responsibility that comes with being married. Because sex is marriage. Sex is marriage. Marriage is sex. They're so closely linked, you cannot separate them. It's why this word is used interchangeably. And it's why this man sleeps with this woman and instantly she becomes his wife and he has to take on the responsibility of being her husband. It wasn't to make things simple, it was because that was how God designed sex to be. Now we can fast forward a couple of thousand years and there's actually some really incredible things that we can see now through science, through our own understanding of relationships that show this principle was how God designed sex to be all along. How funny is it how God's word is able to continue to you know, promote the truth three, four thousand years before we got to here. But I want to look at a couple of different areas that show that sex is marriage. And basically, we're going to look at the psychology um, and the physical um, relationship with us and sex. We're going to look at it emotionally and then spiritually really quickly. So you guys can get this. So I'm not just saying a statement. You're going, oh, wow, God really has intentionally designed it this way. So firstly, let's look psychology and physically. Now, in our brains, there's this chemical called oxytocin. Don't confuse it with oxycotton, very different. Oxytocin. And this is one that's released in our brains in a couple of really key moments. And basically, psychologists call this um, chemical the bonding chemical. So oxytocin is uh, released in those moments when you have a really long hug, like a 20-second hug. You know, apparently a little bit of oxytocin gets released to help you bond. But mainly, oxytocin is known for two key moments. The first is when a mother gives birth to a child. So when the child is born, there is a massive rush of oxytocin I was about to say cotton, oxytocin, over you know, and through the mother's system. And basically, this is so that as she looks at her child, it's all released at once so that her and her child chemically bond. Chemically bond. It's why we have those things like, you know, don't go between, you know, like a mother bear and her cub, that whole idea that a mother's love for her child is like, don't get in the way of that. They, you know, they'll never run out of love for their child. It's because of this bond that happens. Men don't quite get it because we don't do the delivery. Um, Like it still happens a little bit for guys, but not to the same degree. So there's this huge bond that happens. The second time it happens is in the act of sexual intercourse. So when the two parties get to the end of the deed, a huge release of oxytocin is poured out through the system. And what happens is the first time this ever happens, the most amount of oxytocin to get released gets released, to get the two parties to chemically bond together. And psychologists have studied this interesting effect. What happens is the first time it ever happens with that partner, you know, like this much oxytocin is released and you bond with that partner and it keeps getting released every time you have sex. But if you stop, you break up your relationship, and the next partner that you have, only this much oxytocin is released. And then that ends, and then the next partner, only this much oxytocin is released. So what actually happens is that as you have multiple partners, the amount of the chemical agent that helps you bond 
decreases. So you know that old youth group metaphor where they'd walk around and be like, look, you're a post-it note, and if you just touch yourself on everyone, you're not very sticky anymore. You know, I was like, that's dumb. I'll get a new post-it note, you know. It's actually chemically true. It's chemically true for us that actually the more partners we have, the harder it is for us to chemically bond to other people. And you might be able to know people or see this effect in people's lives where you hear about people with, you know, they're like, oh, I've got 100 sexual partners in history. I'm like, wow, that's, that's unfortunate because you're going to really struggle to ever bond with another person. Like, not just on an emotional level, on a chemical level, like how your body was designed. So we can see, firstly, that God actually psychologically, physically created our body to bond with one partner. Sex is marriage. The second thing that we see is actually that God created sex to be a part of the exclusive intimacy that is found in marriage. See, if you don't know, I'm married to the lovely Rachel down the front here, and I'm so glad I'm married to her because she puts up with all of my junk. You know, like, I'm hard to live with. You can imagine, you know, if you've had too much to do with me. But um, Rachel has to live with me all the time. She's probably looking forward to the mission trip, you know, like a little bit of an eight-day break holiday. No, but she's not. She's sad. (laughs) Correct answer. Thank you. (laughs) But there's a unique unique exclusive intimacy between Rachel and I. There's things that we know about each other's temperament that only we know. There's things we know about each other's stories that only we know. There's things about each other's spiritual journeys that only we know. And because sex was saved for marriage for us, there is a unique act, the sexual act, and a unique physical thing where we know things and have experienced things together that no one else will ever experience with us. There is an exclusive intimacy that is gifted to us when we save sex for marriage, when we realize that sex is marriage. And it's actually an incredible gift. I love the fact, absolutely love it, knowing that there are parts of my wife, Rachel, that only I know about her emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of these things are gifts that I get because I took the responsibility to be her husband. Emotionally, mentally, physically. It's an incredible gift. And again, we see that when we realize that sex is marriage, there's a gift that is given to us in that. An exclusive intimacy with our spouse. The the third thing that I want us to, to talk about is that sex is marriage because God has created our bodies to seal the covenant that is marriage. Now, that's a big word. Basically, covenant's like an, an extreme contract. See, in our day, we do a contract where you know, we write up the terms and conditions, we sign our name to it, basically saying, you know what, like, if I f- fail to fulfill this, may my name be tarnished and may I be held responsible to fulfill these terms. Now, in the Old Testament, they did things called covenants because the Old Testament wasn't soft. So basically... <laughs> I'm being serious. Once you get this, you'll be like, yeah, they weren't soft. If you're a, um, this is a, a warning for a vegan or a vegetarian in the room, it is about to get bad for the animals, okay? <laughs> Let's imagine that I am in a business agreement with Jason Turner, all right? Wouldn't happen, you don't know. <laughs> That's what Rachel said, not me. I mean, I stand by what my wife said, okay? <laughs> No, but JT and I are going into a business decision. We verbally agree on some stuff. We'll stand together and I'll be like, well, let us make a covenant. 
And again, it sounds beautiful. But what would happen is I will go out and get the lamb, not for a barbecue, all right? So I'd get the lamb. The lamb gets killed and cut up into pieces and literally kind of like they make a, an aisle there, kind of like a marriage thing, you like a walk down the aisle. But as you walk through these pieces, you like verbally say the terms of the conditions of the covenant. And the reason you need to walk through the animal pieces is because what you're saying is, if I fail to live up to this covenant, may my body become like that of the animal. See what I mean? They're not soft. It's not just like, may my name be tarnished. It's like, no, will I be cut, may I be cut up like this animal and cut off from people and cut off from relationship. Sometimes literally the punishment was, may I be killed if I fail to live up to this covenant. This is serious stuff, right? And God created sex to be a sealing covenant act. Because covenant was all about making covenant promises while recognizing covenant consequences. And sex is meant to be that for us too. This beautiful thing that says, I recognize the covenant promises that I'm making. You know, it's great when you say your vows and then you have sex. It's like, I've made these promises and now I'm consecrating it. But, the, but God's made our physical bodies to help us make a symbolic act out of sex. Crazy. And it's about to get potentially a little graphic. So I'm going to soften it with my lab coat, because we're about to do sex ed with Dr. Dayton, okay? <laughs> oh, the jacket's small. <laughs> I didn't try it on. It's time for sex ed. Oh, I like that on the screen. <laughs> or I should say, not an official doctor, okay? <laughs> Don't take medical advice from me. But basically, God has created the physical body to make this happen. So obviously, if you've done sex ed before, you understand how sex works. And that's a physical representation of two becoming one. Now, for girls, girls have this unique part called the hymen. Like I said, it's, it's, we're getting intense, it's fine. You'll love it, this will literally make so much sense and be really profound for you, so just journey with me through it. The girls have a hymen, right? And the hymen is something that normally breaks or stretches and like bleeds on the first time that sex is had. Now, think about what we've just talked about, about before with covenant and a symbolic act, two becoming one, and yet there also being a consequence attached to what's just happened. And so basically, we hear this phrase all the time, till death do us part, till death do us part. And there's been a spilling of blood, right? It's this symbolic act to remind us of the covenant consequences to the covenant promises that God actually created our human bodies to help symbolically act out the covenant promise of I promise to be two becoming one for the rest of my life. I'll never leave you until death do us part, until there is spilling of blood. See, God has created us physically through the chemical to bond. He's given us this desire for exclusive intimacy that he's found when we save sex for marriage and realize sex is marriage. And he's actually created our bodies to fulfill and seal this covenant commitment to each other. I don't know about you, but I find that intensely beautiful. Like the intentionality that God has gone to to show us actually sex is marriage. They can't be separated. They're meant to function exclusively together. Our bodies were made that way. Our emotional drive was created that way. How our bodies function in the act of sex was made to help fulfill it. It's pretty darn incredible, if I don't say so myself, how God has made that happen. So I hope you can see with me that sex is marriage. And what I really want to point out to you guys, and why we've got this bed here, is I want you to realize that this isn't just a place where we sleep and where we have pleasure. 
This is actually a place where we make covenant promises, where we fulfill covenant consequences. This is a place where covenants are made. And so I want you to actually think about it. The next time you walk into your room, hopefully tonight, and you look at your bed, don't just go, I really can't wait to sleep on that. Go, actually, this is a sacred place. When I meet with my wife, potentially on that first night, or I meet with another human being, you know, if you've been here before, we're going to talk about that in a moment. This is actually a sacred place where covenants are created, where promises are made, where acts are symbolically um, done to show the commitment to this other person. That's a sacred place. It's a sacred place. But if we understand now that sex is marriage, it does potentially leave us with a couple of questions. And this is the classic one. Again, teenage Ben, he would have definitely asked this question. Okay, sex is off the table, but how far is too far? Give me the answer. How far is too far? Now, I'm not going to go through a whiteboard with a list. No, yes, no. No, I'm not going to do that because I actually think that's the wrong question. But we're going to talk about that in a second. The other question I think we're left with is potentially some of us in the room who you feel like, oh, well, I've already gone too far. I've actually already potentially ruined this. And you're maybe sitting there feeling a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit defeated, but we're going to get to that too because there's actually a, a really great story of hope for you in the midst of this as well. But the first thing I want to do is I actually want to address this question of how far is too far because I actually think the question is wrong. If you're asking how far too far is, I actually think you're asking what can I get away with? Because that's what 17-year-old Ben wanted to know. Not how far can I go before it's wrong, what can I get away with? And what I want to ask, and this is going to frame our two conversations, both around how far is too far, but also what hope is there for me if I've already ruined this, is I want us to frame this around this question of what do I want my sexual legacy to be? Now, I know for some of you, even me just saying that sentence, you're thinking of Hugh Hefner because you're like, he's a man who was known for his sex life, you know? And I don't want that to be the example. I actually want you to stop and think, what is the sexual legacy that I want to leave behind? Because the truth is, we all have this story attached to us. So for me, uh, I know that, as I said before, I broke a few rules, I pushed a few boundaries. And there's names and there's acts attached to this story. Like for me, we can laugh at this now, but when I was 15, I um, was dating a girl and I was way too nervous to kiss her because I'd never kissed anyone before. <sighs> this is so embarrassing, but anyway. No, it's really bad and really embarrassing all at the same time. Her best friend was really into me too, and she said, I can help you learn how to kiss and do all that sort of stuff. You can already see where this is going. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My first kiss was me cheating on my 15-year-old girlfriend. Yeah, horrific. But you know what the worst part is? Her name's attached to the story. That is attached to my story. I hate that. Like, absolutely, like, oh, you know, you see in the movies how, like, the notebook, I don't even know if this happens in the notebook, never seen it. You know, like, that whole idea of, like, <laughs> a romantic first kiss that's really beautiful and, like, I remember this forever. You know, like, no, mine was me, like, hooking up with my 15-year-old girlfriend's best friend. Like, what a disaster. And that's attached to my story, and I have to tell my wife that. And all the other names that are attached and all the other acts that are attached. And so when we actually ask this question, how far is too far? And we're really asking, what can I get away with? We forget to think about the sexual legacy that is attached to it. You forget to think about the fact that one day you're gonna to have to sit down with your wife before you get married most likely. In fact, that would be my advice. Do it before you get married. So they're not like, what the heck? I didn't realize that was all attached. And you have gotta share that story. You have gotta share your sexual legacy with them. 
And it's the worst. I hated it. Hated it. Because there was something within me that just went, I wish, all I could say to my wife was, you're the only one. Full stop. Man, I wish. And so when we ask the question wrong, when we ask how far is too far, we actually lead ourselves down the garden path. We lead ourselves to knock on the doors and find out what's behind it. And we forget about our sexual legacy. We forget about the stories that we're going to have to ask. We're going to forget about the stories we're going to have to tell. And so my encouragement to you, if you are here and you're on the single journey and you're still wrestling with those questions, maybe even you're dating and you're trying to figure out what are the boundaries for us, don't ask how far is too far. Ask, what do I want attached to my sexual legacy? What stories do I want to have, to have the conversation about? Because the truth is, not only have, do I have to have the conversation with Rachel, but if we have kids down the track, one day I'm going to have to have that conversation with them too. Hey, I stuffed up heaps. Don't do what I did. You know, like, again, just as a, as a person, you just kind of go, man, I wish that I had the opportunity to say to my kids, I waited and it was everything that I expected to be, and I'm so glad that I did. Like, set that beautiful example. And again... I'm trying to say this to you guys who are single, who are potentially, you're all clean now, you're all fine, you've survived high school and you're still like kicking along, but you're still wrestling with this because the truth is like, you're 20, you're like, I don't know how to handle this, I don't know what's going on. Please just think about your sexual legacy. Think about the stories that you want to have to tell to your wife and your kids. And I promise you, if you think with that, you'll make smarter decisions. You won't be in the back corner one time at a party going, hmm is this okay? You'd be like, no, I actually, I don't want this attached to my sexual legacy. I'm killing this, like, whatever this is right now, I'm killing it at the door, you know? Like, I don't want this attached. So think about your sexual legacy. Now, for those of you in the room who are a little bit like me, you've got some baggage attached, you've already potentially got a list of names and acts attached to your sexual legacy. I want to encourage you that even asking this question begins to change things. See, for me, like I said, I went through those teen years, I fooled around, I did some things I shouldn't have done, but I finally hit that moment where I went, you know what, actually, I'm sick of this, I don't want this anymore, and I actually want to get myself right for my wife. I don't want it to be like, oh, yeah, so, you know, the night before we kind of started seeing each other, like, you know, we met at the club and we hooked up, like, I also hooked up with this other girl, I didn't want that attached to my story. I wanted that clean start, I was like, you know what, the the next girl that I date, I want to be able to say, hey, look, This was my past. This was my past. And actually, God has done a redemptive act in bringing me through to this. And I've been clean for a while. I haven't, you know, stuffed up. I don't have any more names or acts attached for years. And I want you to be the last one, you know, in my story, in my legacy. Because the truth is, like, no matter how far you've gone, I don't, I genuinely, like, whatever thing you're thinking about right now, they go, yeah, but you don't know that I did that. I tell you what, right now, like Jesus died on the cross for it. He knew exactly what you'd done and he knew exactly when you were going to do it and he still died for it anyway. The truth is that he came to say, you know what, September the 16th, 2018, your story changes because you find freedom tonight, you find redemption tonight, you find hope tonight, you realize that actually the story isn't done. You haven't stopped now, you're not defined by what's happened, it doesn't have to continue to be the future. In fact, tonight is the night things change. Tonight is the night where you go in four years time, you go, I still remember September 16th, 2018, my story changed. I decided that this wasn't what I was going to do anymore. I got it sorted. I realized I needed to think about my sexual legacy. And I realized that I wanted to save myself for my future husband, my future wife, to say that this story is different because of what Jesus did. 
And so for you, if you're here tonight and you feel like you're in that camp, begin to think about your sexual legacy because the truth is Jesus is here tonight and he wants to set you free of it. He wants to help you on that journey as we move through it. So think about your sexual legacy. The final thing I want to say, in the reason I want to say this, and I only want to touch on it quickly, is because I believe this is the biggest lie that we're told by the world around sex, is this lie that says, sex will fulfill me. Sex will fulfill me. That you're not a fully functioning person unless you're sexually active as well. I can tell you right now, now this is nothing to do with my wife, this is everything to do with the fact that sex wasn't designed to do this. I am no more fulfilled because I can have sex. I didn't like, you know, after the wedding be like, wow, the trees look different. You know, like everything is better now. Like I realize, wow, now I get it. Like I'm fulfilled. There's a new purpose to life. Like that doesn't happen. Because sex isn't about fulfillment. Sex is about commitment. And so the best part about being married, the best part about the sex is the fact that my life is more fulfilled, not because I'm sexually active now, but because I've made a commitment. Because I've said, you know what, my purpose in life now is to be the best husband that I can possibly be to my wife. To love her, to care for her, to sacrifice for her. Oh man, you know, like that is commitment. I didn't tear up before when we were talking about sex, but I tear up when I talk about the commitment to my wife because that is purpose. That is fulfillment. It's commitments. Commitments is what brings fulfillment. Sex wasn't meant to be put on this pedestal that said, when I'm active, life will be better. You know, like that's not the place it was designed to be. Sex was designed to be a part of marriage, but marriage and commitment was where fulfillment was meant to be found. But on that topic of sex not bringing fulfillment, for some of you here, you have to get around this idea that actually singleness is also a gift from God. Sometimes in the, in the church, we, we put marriage up on this pedestal because we love it and we celebrate it because you know, like we want people to get married and we love the commitment that marriage is. But for some people, you're gonna wrestle with singlehood. Like what does it look like to be single? And if you can get rid of this darn lie that sex is what brings fulfillment, that when you're married, you'll finally have a great purpose, you will realize that actually your fulfillment and your purpose is again found in commitment. And it can be found in Christ. You can make a lifelong commitment to Christ. And whether I was single or married, have the exact same level of fulfillment and purpose. Because I didn't need to be married. I didn't need to have sex to find that because Christ had already made it possible for me. And when you think about it, two of the most influential people in Christian history, single, celibate, never had sex. The Apostle Paul wrote so many letters, did so much mission work. Single, celibate, never had sex. A life full of purpose, a life full of fulfillment. Don't even get me started on Jesus. Single, celibate, never had sex changed the course of human history, saved our eternal, like our souls from eternal damnation into eternal life. The 33 year old virgin changed the world, you know, like. <laughs> think about it. This is a huge lie that we get told, you won't be fulfilled, you won't find purpose in sex. You'll find it in commitment. And sex is designed to be a part of that commitment. As we've seen, sex is marriage, marriage is sex. We were created for this to function as one. We need to be people who think about our sexual legacy so that we actually think about the stories that are attached to our name. 
stories we're gonna have to talk about down the track, but that actually sex was never designed to bring us fulfillment and purpose. Christ has already done that for us on the cross, that we can come into relationship with Him, join Him in building His kingdom and find true fulfillment, find true purpose. And when we finally get sex in the right spot, we realise so many things. Firstly, you're gonna find this new level of freedom in your life. Think about it, no soul ties, no sexual history, no worries about STIs, like none of that sort of stuff. You'll have better relationships. Studies show that those who wait to have sex once they're married have better relationships. Communication is better and there's not such a thing as sex comparison. I still remember sitting in my cricket club. I was 18 years old, other people were batting. I was like, you know, cricket, you're sitting there and watching it and you're paying to do it. Again, weird, but like sitting there and listening to this guy who was in a relationship and someone asking me, oh, are you gonna marry her? And he's like, oh, I don't know, like things are great, things are really good, but I, the person I wanna marry, I just, I want us to have like the best sex of our lives. Like, she, you know, I want her to be the best that I ever have. I thought, what are you gonna do? Sleep with all 3.5 billion women. Good luck, you know, like, and how are you gonna know? What if you go through all of them and you're like, oh, number three, you know, like, good luck getting her back, you know, like. But you don't, you don't have that. That's the beautiful thing. Like if you actually save it for marriage, there's, there's none of this like sexual comparison. There's this new freedom and enjoyment in that. There's no like, oh, you know, like so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. There's none of that. And even for you, if you stop now and you save yourself for that, there's actually even that. There's this time and this distance that creates a fresh start on that front for you too. Not only that, but you'll honour the relationships that you're in now. Not treating like dating like a, a little bit of a taste test of what marriage is gonna be like and push some boundaries because you'll actually realise unless you've made that commitment, you don't deserve it. Unless you've made that commitment, it's not yours. Your relationships will be better and if things fall apart, you'll be left in such a better place because there's no weird sexual stuff attached to it. You'll have a clean conscience with your wife recognizing, you know what, I haven't been fooling around or stuffing around with other people before this. No awkward conversations, no history that you hate to look back on. And it'll be a gift to your kids. You probably don't think about that at 20, but it will be a gift to your kids. Imagine being able to have that conversation of, I went through my 20s when the world was so obsessed with sex, didn't do anything, saved myself for your mum, and we have been happy ever since. You know, like this has been a gift to us. And they will look at that and go, that's what I want. That's what I want to aspire to. Like that's a gift to your kids. And so for us, we can see this all happen when we get sex in the right spot. When we realize actually sex is marriage. It's not something to fool around with. It's not something to play with. Sex is marriage. There need to be people who think about our sexual legacies and live with that in mind. And finally, that we recognize that sex was never meant to bring fulfillment and purpose to our lives. And when we do that, maybe the church will finally get sex right. We'll finally be able to point people to how God had originally designed this. And we could see a narrative change around how sex is viewed by the world in the church. You know, they might go, actually, these guys seem to know what's going on with relationships. You know what? Their marriages are great. You know what? You know, the way they relate to each other is, you know, um, opposite sex people who are in platonic relationships is healthy because there's none of this weird, like, are we in love, like sexy stuff going on? None of that weird stuff going on. We can actually make a stand for a generation that says, you know what, as much as the world says that our generation is more obsessed with sex than ever before, we're actually gonna be a remnant of purity in our generation. We're gonna see purity in our generation. Maybe people, how crazy would this be? People get led to Christ because of your sex life, because actually you're, you're just honouring God so beautifully with it that people are like, 
this doesn't make sense and yet you're so fulfilled and you have so much purpose and you have such great relationships. What is it? And you're like, Jesus. And they're like, all right, I'm on the bandwagon. I'm on the bandwagon. You know, like maybe, just maybe we hear some of those stories. Like imagine, that would be absolutely crazy. But we can be a generation that fights this narrative that says actually, we can take a stand that sex is more than just a physical thing that actually we're gonna be people who live with the end in mind. What is my sexual legacy gonna be when I come to meet with my wife? And people who recognise that sex isn't gonna bring us fulfilment and purpose. Not even close. It was never designed to, it was never meant to, but actually it was meant to help us be making a decision and a commitment to another human being. And so tonight we've talked about sex. And we've talked about Jesus and actually about how Jesus fulfilled this incredible purpose while he was still single, celibate, and never had sex. And actually that a part of that purpose was inviting us into a relationship with Jesus. Now I know it sounds weird, but we're gonna have a response time to the sex talk. Because actually I believe that Jesus wants to redeem people's lives right now and he wants to redeem our sexuality and our sex lives right now. And it would be remiss of us to not engage with this. To actually think about, you know what, what is God wanting to do in the midst of this? Because the truth is Jesus did come and die so that you could find purpose and fulfilment in Him and not sex. Not in money, not in any of these other things, but to find it in Him and Him alone. And so what I want us to do is right now, just across this room, if we can just close our eyes and bow our heads, because I wanna give people here tonight an opportunity. I know there might be some of you here tonight, you're like, I wonder what the Christians talk about when they talk about sex, but you're not really following Jesus. You wouldn't say, I'm a Christian. And yet tonight you realised actually Christ died for me. He died for my broken sexual history. He died for my broken sexual legacy. He actually died so that I could find fulfilment and purpose in Him. And tonight you go, you know what? That's actually something I need. I need to stop looking at these things like sex and power and money to bring me fulfilment. I need to find it in Christ. So what I wanna do is I actually just wanna give you the opportunity in a moment just to put your hand up where you are to say, that's me. And as you put your hand up just to say, you know what, like you're not saying it out loud, but you're saying in your heart, actually, Jesus, I want fulfillment and purpose in you and you alone. That's what I want. And so if that's you in a moment, I just want you to put your hand up where you are to say, that's me. That's actually a decision I need to make tonight because it's gonna be the best decision you've ever made. So if that is you tonight, if tonight you're like, yes, I need to make a commitment. I need to make a decision to be in relationship with Jesus, to find fulfillment and purpose in Him and Him alone. If that's you, can you just put your hand up where you are right now, just to make, just to show, to symbolically show that decision that you've made. Just to step out and say, yep, I'm choosing Jesus tonight. Choosing Jesus over sex. I'm choosing Jesus over money. I'm choosing Jesus tonight. If that's you, Just put your hand up where you are. Awesome. I see that hand. It's great. Anyone else? That's a decision that you want to make yet? Tonight I follow Jesus. Yeah, great. One last opportunity. If that's you tonight, just raise your hand where you are. Yep, I want to choose Jesus. I want to find purpose and fulfillment in Him. No, that's all good. Awesome. Hey, why don't we just give a massive round of applause for those who have just made that commitment. 
night. It's so good. Uh, if that was you, we would love to pray for you and connect with you and give you a Bible and, and just help you on this journey. But there's one last response that I want to give you guys the opportunity for tonight. Now, this isn't the response. It's like, if you stuffed up your sex life, come down the front, we're going to pray for you because who's going to go down and do that? Let's be real. That would be pretty impressive if you did that. But what I actually want to do is if that is you, feel free to do this. But I actually want to put the challenge out to all of us around this concept of sexual legacy. If tonight you go, you know what, I've been wrestling with this, but you're right, Ben. Tonight, September the 16th, 2018, I want a new vision of what my sex life can look like. I actually want to take this on board. And whether that's you're single and you've never even pushed a boundary in any way, never even held hands with someone, that's great. You are welcome down the front if you're like, I'm still struggling with this, I'm still wrestling with this. I want God to give me a vision that will captivate me in such a way that I never want to deter from it what you focus on is where you go. That's why all those little kids that are scared of hitting the pole always hit it because they're always looking at it. And so for you, if that's you, you want a new vision that you want to focus on and you want to work towards and you want to walk towards and you want God to bring about in your life, tonight we want to pray that God would give you that vision. And in that, you can obviously share whatever's going on for you, but we want to do this so you have a safe place to just talk about what's going on for you and to get that prayer and that responsibility. So if you guys would just stand where you are right now, just stand. We're about to, uh, to worship together. And our pastoral team and our prayer team will be down the front, um, ready to pray for you guys. Yeah, go for it. Uh, but if this is something that you're like, yep, I need that new vision for my sex life. Whether you're married and you still need this, seriously, this is for everyone. If you need a new vision for your sex life and how God wants to use it in your life, I just want to encourage you in this next song. Just come down the front. Just come down the front. There's no shame. There's no judgment. We're all human beings, like we said, wrestling with this topic. So just come down the front and get prayer. Just come down the front and get prayer. Get some support. Get some encouragement. But let me pray. And then as we uh, sing this song, come down the front. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. We want to thank you that you have created sex to be good, to be enjoyed. But Lord, we also want to thank you for the fact that you actually want to give us a vision of what our sex life should look like, of what we should be a part of, of what we should be aiming for, that you've created for us, you've designed for us. And Lord, I pray right now that you'll give us the courage to come down the front to say, God, I want this vision. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a new vision uh, for what our sexual legacies can look like. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. If that's you, I just want to encourage you, just start coming out now. Just come down the front. Like I said, there's no shame. There's no judgment. We're going to start singing, but come down, please, and uh, just spend some time with the Lord. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.